Welcome to episode four of the Rusty Fox Farm podcast. Today is Saturday, May 6th, 2017. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back, and if you're a new listener, welcome. Rusty Fox Farm is a two-acre homestead in progress in rural southwest Ohio, and this podcast gives a weekly update on what's going on around the farm. My apologies for skipping last week's podcast. While on vacation, I was getting a lot accomplished while trying to beat the rain and decided to wait a week to post a new episode. Today I'll start out by talking about the trip I took and my new bicycle. I will then touch on gardening, crafting, and cooking. During the first two days of my vacation, Mom and I took off and drove three hours up to Holmes County, Ohio to what people refer to around here as the Amish, as if it is a specific place. To people from elsewhere, that wouldn't make a lot of sense, but to anyone local, if you say, we went to the Amish, they know you mean Holmes County. Neither of us had visited in over a decade, and things had really changed. Most everything has become extremely commercialized and overpriced. The hotel we stayed at was right in the middle of Berlin, and across the street you could see a store selling Indian souvenirs and another selling motorcycle riding leather, neither of which are very Amish. We had a great time, but we're not sure we'll make the trip again. We visited some antique stores and found a few good buys. Mom bought herself two B-Skep honey pots that she collects. We also bought a few vintage ball jars to use for crafts to sell. The two stores that stood out the most were Berlin Seeds and Country Gatherings. Berlin Seed was the main reason we decided to visit, and it did not disappoint. Do not picture an over-the-top greenhouse, though. That isn't what this was at all. It was in a pole barn type structure with metal shelving. Their seeds were all in packets in alphabetical order arranged by vegetables, herbs, and flowers. They had some canning and kitchen kitchen supplies, a lot of organic fertilizers, pesticides and herbicides, some wild bird supplies, and a range of other things for seed starting and gardening. I ended up buying 250 feet of floating row cover, plug inserts for seed starting, collard and spinach seeds, and new garden gloves. They do not have a website, but I've listed their phone number in the show notes and you can request a catalog. The second store of note was Country Gatherings. This was a large store with an attached greenhouse. Outside, they had a large fenced-in area with about any concrete animal you could want. Their main store had country home furnishings. I'm not big on country decorating, but I took home a lot of ideas for things I'd like to make for craft shows or for my own home. I felt their prices were on the higher side on a lot of things, but it wasn't that way entirely. Their greenhouse focused mostly on garden sculpture and fairy gardens. We ended up leaving with a terracotta b-skep, mom really likes b-skeps, a hand-forged latch for the planned picket fence around the herb garden, as well as some small plants and accessories for a fairy garden. Before we headed home, we went to the town of Charm to visit Miller's Dry Goods. I'd been looking for fabric to make some bags for my bicycle with no luck, but I found the perfect fabric at Miller's. It is the Sweet Marion line by April Rosenthal of Prairie Grass Patterns produced by Moda. It has the blue-black of the main color of my bicycle as well as the teal of the wheels, and it will make adorable accessories for my bike. I'd been seeing Amish people on their bikes with fabric side baskets and I've never seen these before anywhere, but there were two parked outside of Miller's when we got there, and I saw that they had labels with a local phone number on them. I asked, and there was a bicycle shop down the street. The store was Highland Bikes, and the owner was extremely knowledgeable. 
I didn't end up getting the baskets I'd been seeing, but I did get a front basket and two pannier baskets from him. He also said that he can order the wheels for my vintage Huffy with the correct axle size. While I won't be doing that this year with what I've already spent on a new bicycle, there's a good possibility I'll be contacting him next spring. When we got home Tuesday night, my bicycle was waiting for me. A smart person would have waited until they were rested the next morning to start assembling it. But that's apparently not who I am. This is a 630 Classic 7 speed that claimed it was 80% assembled. Lots of reviews said they had it assembled professionally, but the company claimed it was simple. I will give them that one of their bikes with coaster brakes is probably simple. It might have been simple for someone whose last bicycle with coaster brakes was more recent than the year 2000. I fought and fought to get the brakes centered and at the correct tension. I gave up sometime around midnight. The next morning, I tried again with no luck until the point of being angry. I got up and went outside and sat on the edge of a raised bed until I wasn't ready to send it back. I came back in, tried again, and something aligned and they just work. I still don't know why or how. I took it out for a test ride and ended up riding all the way to Reeseville on the bike trail. I'd tell you how long that is, but I forgot my phone to track it and I've yet to successfully make it to the end of the trail again. On Saturday, Mom, Dad, and I all went out for a bike ride, but we only went about halfway because storms had caused a lot of down branches and Mom ran over a thorn. She made it back to the house with the thorn still in the tire so it didn't go flat. We went out again with Dad's bike, but Mom didn't want to go the entire way. When we got back to the house again, I still wanted to go out more, so I too went out again. According to the app Cycle Meter, I got 1.9 miles before I heard a pssss noise. At first, I thought it was the creek I was near, so I kept going. Then I realized it was my tire. Instantly flat. I didn't see anything in the tire, but I called Dad to tell him why I would be longer than expected. I started the two-mile walk back to the house as it was getting dark. Mom met me about 500 feet into the part of the trail that leaves the village, and she rode Dad's bike back as I walked mine. Sunday, I picked up a new inner tube from Walmart. Dad helped me change the tube. While the tube definitely had a hole, there's no visible hole in the tire. Once it was back together and the tire pumped back up, the brakes were all misaligned again. I again fought with them till late with no success. Monday after work, I messed with them again, only to realize the tire wasn't on straight, which was the main issue. It's now working enough to be ridden, but I know it could be better. I really do like my new bike, and I'm hoping I'll get used to the more complicated gears and brakes and be able to fix them as I've already threatened to send it back a few times. I'm planning to take it to the bike shop in Xenia and have them tune the entire bike, though. For the time being, this is out of my realm of knowledge. Now on to the regular segments. For gardening, I accomplished a lot. Two Sundays ago, I got it into my head to put a flower bed in front of the house. Due to an accident my grandfather had back in 2001, all of the, fl- all of the front yard is paved except where there used to be two old maple trees. When we moved in, they were dying, so we had them cut down before they did any damage. One of the trees, the stump came out with the tree, but the other needs ground out. What this has left are two gaping holes in the concrete that spend much of the year covered in weeds. In the hole without the stump, I weeded and turned all of the dirt by hand. That process took most of a day. I then moved rocks we had from the old house to surround it. 
It was looking better, and three people on bikes and one person in a car stopped to comment. I planted zinnias I grew from seed and sunflower seeds. Later in the week, I added mulch, petunias, and dianthus. It's not what we plan for that space eventually, but for this year it will add some beauty for us and the bike trail riders. Thursday, Dad went and got the tiller around lunchtime and showed me how to use it. He makes it look really easy. He went back to work and I tilled what is now the asparagus bed three times. Mom then added preen and a calcium supplement and I shoveled compost over it. I tilled it once more before moving on to the tomato area. I still hadn't totally gotten the hang of turning the tiller and Dad came back to check on me just as I was struggling to navigate around my raised beds. He took over for a while and tilled that area which we also added preen, calcium, and compost to. The last thing we tilled was a strip along the side of the chicken coop. Mom and I planted 90 asparagus plants in a U-shape with plans to put paving stones in the middle. Asparagus is a practice in patience as it will be three years before we are able to harvest any. After that, we'll have an asparagus crop each spring for about 20 years. In the tomato bed, I planted one early girl tomato that I bought, then 10 Chiovoni paste tomatoes, four beefsteak tomatoes, and four Livingston's Beauty tomatoes, which were all started from seed from Victory Seed. They were still pretty tiny, so I draped row cover over all of them until they get a bit bigger so the birds won't pick them off. Earlier in April, I had only planted half of the second raised bed, and I finished that off with colored greens, neon lights, Swiss chard, spinach, early wonder beets, calliope blend carrots, and royal chantonnay carrots. Of the seeds I had planted back in April, the microgreens and radishes are well on their way to being ready to harvest. The onions have sprouted and look like grass. Onions from seed are a new experience for me, so it's interesting to see them develop. Some of the other lettuces have sprouted, but the last time I tried to walk in the garden, I ended up ankle-deep in mud, so I'm watching from a distance for now. Part of the garden area is planted with perennials we moved from the old house. We're slowly moving them to permanent homes as we put in new beds. The bed we created by the chicken coop got blue hydrangeas, an heirloom flower similar to lily of the valley, purple coneflowers, and two tiny tim tomatoes. We also created a flower bed at the back of the house where we planted basil started from seed, coneflowers, spearmint, and some early spring bulbs. Lastly, which is only mildly garden related, is that I did get the turbine assembled but rain kept me from getting a pole set into the ground. I'm pretty sure if any of the neighbors saw me out in the yard holding a turbine up in the air to watch it spin, they probably thought I was a little crazy. Truthfully, they're probably correct. For crafting, I've gotten what at least feels like a lot done over the past two weeks. The only knitting I did was on the vanilla socks out of Croy Socks Bramble Stripes. I finished the first sock, then wound the ball for the second while watching TV in our hotel. I also finished a project bag the night before we left that I wanted to take. It is made out of a fabric from Joann's that is printed with potted cacti and succulents. You know how sometimes you picture the way a project will look and then when it's finished, it's exactly that thing? That's how the wagon turned out and I'm pleased as punch with it. Dad helped me to finish the assembly, then I stenciled the sides with the farm name. There's a blog post up about it that I posted earlier this week. I can't wait for the ground to dry up a bit so I can use it. One of my goals for the year was to do one project a month to prepare for Christmas around Sabina. So far, I have failed miserably. Today, though, I painted three jewelry boxes from thrift stores and two lamps with chalk paint. 
I'd never used chalk paint before, and while it feels all kinds of wrong to not sand and prepare the surface, they've turned out really well. Two of the boxes and the lamps I painted with folk art brand chalk paint in the color Castle. The last box I painted with Waverly chalk paint in the color Agave. Tomorrow I'll be reassembling the lamps and the hinges on the boxes, then waxing them with Minwax brand paste finishing wax in the color Special Dark. Two of the boxes have inserts for embroideries, which I still need to do, and the lamps I need to order new electrical parts for. The lamps are also from thrift stores, and I don't feel comfortable selling a lamp with old electric. I'll be making a blog post on how to rewire a lamp. It's very easy to do. I ordered two books from Amazon this week. One is The Embroidered Garden by Kazuko Aoki, and the other is The Embroidery Stitch Bible by Betty Barnden. Aoki's work is beautiful and has a look I often try to achieve. The Stitch Dictionary is one I have wanted for a while and is the best I've found other than the Reader's Digest Complete Guide to Embroidery Stitches, which is sadly out of print. I've never been able to bring myself to pay the used price for it. Currently, the lowest price of a poor quality book is $23.66 and the highest price listed is $73.98. I have not yet seen a book that is worth that price. A while back, I'd requested samples of different brands of embroidery thread to do a comparative review. I've been doing stitch samplers this week for a future blog post. For cooking, I did end up setting up my diffuser lights to do a couple shoots for the blog. I've already posted a recipe for deviled eggs, and I took pictures to do a post on healthier snacking. We ended up with a lot of leftover coleslaw, so last Sunday I made a pork loin in the oven along with two barbecue sauces from my new Cook's Illustrated cookbook, which I'll link to in the show notes. They were okay, but I don't see myself making them again. They were the sweet and tangy barbecue sauce and the South Carolina mustard barbecue sauce. I should have paid attention to the amount it made because now I have about four cups of barbecue sauce left that I don't really care for and both of the recipes could have been halved. Last night, I tried a new-to-me recipe from the kitchen blog for their broccolini, chicken sausage, and orzo skillet. I made quite a few modifications, including using broccoli instead of broccolini, using smoked sausage instead of chicken sausage, and leaving out the garlic. There weren't any leftovers, so I'm sure I'll be making it again. Tonight, I made Mexican food with homemade corn tortillas. I feel like the overall quality of my tortillas is getting better, but they aren't consistent. I need to watch some videos to see if there's something I can do better. Also, if corn tortillas are something you are interested in making, a press really does improve the quality of the tortillas and the ease of making them. I'll link to the one I use. That's all I have for this episode, and I hope you'll join me next week for more news from the farm. If you would like to learn more, you can find links to everything I've talked about at RustyFoxFarm.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as RustyFoxFarm.com or you can email me at emily at rustyfoxfarm.com. The theme music is Groundwork by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com.